All right, please join me in reading God's word. Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 15. You shall count seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the feast of booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would meet us in this place by your spirit and through your word, and that you would give us what we need. Father, we all long to be altogether joyful. And we want to take a moment to recognize right now that that can only come through you and in you. So would you be with us? Would you fill us? Would you change us? Would you send us to be your joyful people, welcoming and inviting others to come into the party? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Feels like a celebration, doesn't it, on a baptism Sunday? And it is a celebration. I love baptism Sundays. Our family tries to remember to celebrate our baptism birthdays, not just our biological birthdays, but baptism birthdays because baptism is something worth celebrating. A few weeks ago, we had a membership Sunday, and following the membership Sunday, we had a potluck, and it was pretty low-key on one hand. We just brought the tables in and moved the chairs around, and people brought food, and we had some barbecue. People hung around and had an amazing time. I had so many people come up to me afterwards saying, we should do these more often. I said, are you volunteering to run them? <laughs> but it's great to celebrate. It's wonderful to throw parties in this sermon, I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably, celebration and partying. It's wonderful to be filled with joy. It's wonderful to have fun. And the question before us is, are those experiences abstractions from the normal Christian life? Or are they the centerpiece of a Christian life? Is celebration, is partying part of what it means, a central part of what it means to be God's people and to live in His kingdom. Another way to ask the question as we're thinking about our sermon series in Deuteronomy, 
is God's call to his people to put down roots in relationship with him and then bear fruit for the nations. Does that involve celebration and partying? Or is partying just something that Israel does from time to time for no particular reason? One other way to ask the question is this. Are we here at Grace and Peace Austin the kind of congregation of which it is said, now those people know how to have fun? Are we the kind of congregation that our neighbors would look in at what we're doing and say, I want to party with them. They seem like fun people. Here's our outline if you're a note taker. Uh, Point one, should they be asking that question? Should they say that of us? Why should they say that of us? And then thirdly, what would it take for them to say that of us? Should our neighbors say of us, boy, they know how to have fun. Why might they say that about us? And what would it take in our life together for them to begin more and more to say that? So the first point, do God's people party? And should we? Uh, Now I'll admit that I'm biased when it comes to this question, and maybe you are too. Because I would like that to be true. Wouldn't you like that to be true? That being baptized into the family of Jesus is being baptized into a group of people who really know how to have fun together and to celebrate. The kind of people that throw the best parties. Uh, That's my family heritage uh, on my mom's side. My grandfather is infamous for a desire to have fun and make sure everybody around him has fun as well. There's a story that's told of uh, one of my uncles when he was 10 years old or so, broke both arms at the same time, which I think is probably a hard thing to do. He managed to break both arms at the same time because he was slip and sliding on top of a tractor trailer. And so he just slip and slid right off the front of a tractor trailer, 12 feet up in the air. Why? Because it was fun, right? His father, my grandfather, was a builder when I was growing up, and he built houses, not because he particularly loved to build houses, but he built houses because he built them for people who could not in any other way find a home to live in. He had all sorts of finance finagling that he could do with them. He built houses on the cheap. He made it work so that people who couldn't get into a home could get into a home because it was the right thing to do. Maybe, but what he would say was because that's a fun way to build houses, to be able to bless people. So my heritage is such that we like to have fun, not despite the fact that we're followers of Jesus, but because we're followers of Jesus. Right? My uncle, who was helping uh, give me some discerning advice as I was considering whether or not to move here and to be pastor at Grace and Peace, asked one question when I was telling him about the church. Is this the kind of place and are these the kind of people that you can enjoy Jesus with? That was it. Is this the kind of place, are these the kind of people that you can enjoy Jesus with? Is that just a family thing or is that a God thing? Does being rooted in relationship with God and bearing fruit for the nations look like a party? Well, what does Deuteronomy 16 have to say about it? Look at verse 9 with me again. You shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seven weeks from the time that the sickle is first put to the standing grain, and then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God, 
and you shall rejoice. You shall keep the feast of weeks, and you shall rejoice. Then further on in verse 13, Moses continues, remember these are God's people who have been wandering in the wilderness. They're now standing at the banks of the Jordan, about to come into the land, trying to figure out what it looks like to be God's people there. Moses is explaining to them what that rhythm of life is going to be. And he says, again, you shall keep the feast of booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, seven days, and you shall rejoice. So three quick things to notice. One, this has to do with feasting. And believe me, they knew how to feast. The Feast of Tabernacles particularly, everybody would road trip to Jerusalem from wherever you were in the land. You would set up shop and you would begin to sacrifice. In other words, you would have food going for seven days and you would tailgate. Everybody set up their tents all around the fields of Jerusalem, and you would just party together, recognizing the good things that God would do for you. They knew how to feast. Feasting was a regular rhythm for Israel. But not only did they feast, they took joy in it. I don't know if you've ever been to a meal where it just wasn't that fun. Right? My kids could probably talk about some meals that we forced them to go to that wasn't very fun. But Israel's meals were fun. They rejoiced. They were filled with gladness. And then the third thing is that these feasts and this joy was mandated. It wasn't an option. It wasn't if the crops are good. It wasn't if you're feeling like you're in a celebratory mood. It was, you shall, you shall, you shall. In other words, kids, it was against the law not to throw parties for Israel. They had to do it. And so maybe we could say, well, that was God's people back then, right? They lived in the land, they were an ancient culture. That was God talking to those old-timey people. But what about us? Well, look at Jesus, right? Jesus came. Do you remember Jesus' first miracle? What was his first miracle? The first sign that Jesus did. Yeah, he took an awesome party and he made it even more awesome. Right? And he turned the water into wine so that the party could continue. Jesus loved to tell stories. He told them all the time. One of his favorite topics for stories was, yeah, parties. And he told a story about the prodigal son. Do you remember that one? The sun goes off. He comes to his senses. He realizes that he's better off in his dad's home. He comes back, and what does his dad do? Throws an epic party for him. Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven, what it's going to be like when God finally and fully is reigning. And do you know what the theme of that story is? It's a party. God's like a wealthy man who throws the best party, and he invites everybody from near and far to come in and to enjoy it. Jesus, when his critics would come and pick on him. They would say things like, hey, you know this guy, Jesus, uh, he eats a little too much and he drinks a little bit too much and he does it with the wrong sorts of people. In other words, Jesus had a bit of a reputation for being a partier. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when the Apostle Paul writes letters to churches who are seeking to be Jesus' followers... 40 times Paul commands these churches to rejoice. 31 times 
he mentions that joy should characterize their life together. Friends, there's just no way around it. When the Bible talks about what it means to be God's people, to be followers of Jesus, he talks about joy. He talks about celebration. He talks about knowing how to party. So here's a question for you. First, is that your understanding of God's character? Is that your understanding of God's character? That God who created the universe and all that is in it as a place for his people to play and frolic and enjoy and to make it better so that there's more enjoyment, that God is a host a generous host, a joyful host who loves to throw parties. Is that how you think of? Is that what you think of when you think of God, the Father? If it does, what kind of impact that might that have on the way that you envision life as His people? Kids, I have a question for you. Have you started to believe and to think that the fun things in life happen over there away from church. And church is the place where you come and you sit through things that are hard and that are boring. I hope not. Because that's not what God says life with Him is all about. Life with Him is a life with Jesus and Jesus was the life of the party and so church ought to be fun. And kids, Jesus said, let the little children come to Me because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It belongs to people like them. I think he said that because they know how to receive it in simple faith, and they know how to enjoy it. You know how to enjoy it. So kids, keep finding your joy in Jesus at church, in Sunday school, and in middle school groups, and help us adults learn how to have fun as we follow Jesus. We need your help. Should our neighbors look at us and say, they know how to party? According to Deuteronomy 16 and the whole Bible, yes, they should. And why might that be? Why might God's people be joyful partiers? Deuteronomy 16 says, in part because God has been so generous to us in the past, and celebration is just one way to remember Him and thank Him. That's partly what these feasts are about. But we've talked some about that in the past, and so I want to point out one other reason why God's people are to be filled with joy and celebration, and that is because we know what's coming. We know the end of the story, and the end of the story is a party. When I was a kid, I used to, I wouldn't tell my parents this, but I used to wonder if I really wanted to go to heaven because heaven just seemed like a kind of boring place. Like you sang some songs and maybe played some music and then you sang some more songs and played some music and sat around and sang some songs and played some music and then some more and more and then that's eternity, forever and ever. Like, mm, I don't know. That's not what the Bible says heaven is, kids. The new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus comes again, is going to be a party. Revelation says 
It's the wedding party of Jesus and his bride. It's going to be a celebration. That's what's coming. At the end is a party. And so if that's what's coming, then it makes sense that we ought to start practicing now and get a little taste as much as we can. And we actually see that here in Deuteronomy 16. It's a little trickier to see, but it's there. Did you notice all the sevens in this passage? And if you remember Terry's sermon in Deuteronomy 15, he talked about sevens as well, right? The Feast of Weeks begins after seven weeks following the first harvest. And then the Feast of Booth is to take place for seven days. And if you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 15, every seventh year there was going to be a celebration of a debt release. And then every seven times seven years, 49 years on the 50th year, there was going to be a year of jubilee, this grand mishmash of justice and joy in which the land would revert back to its original owners. The Bible talks in sevens all the time, and it's not incidental. It was a way that the ancient Hebrews wrote to make a point. Because the word seven connotes fullness, and it connotes completion. It connotes wholeness and finality. So if you think back all the way to the beginning of the Bible story, right back to Genesis, there's a seven there as well, right? On the seventh day, after God took six days to create his good world, on the seventh day then he rested. He set up shop, as it were, in his good creation. He settled in to enjoy it and to rule over it with his people. And that was the Sabbath day. Right? But we lost the Sabbath day. We lost that seven. We lost that fullness and completion in our rebellion against God. And so the rest of the story of the Bible is God's commitment to bring that fullness back or to bring us into that fullness again, if you will. And so these sevens are peppered throughout. Why? Because they're pointing us forward to the fullness that is coming. When God will restore and renew all things, and when that happens, what's it going to feel like? A party. And so God tells His people, keep the Feast of Weeks, the party's coming. Keep the Feast of Booths, the party is coming. Keep the Year of Debt Release, the party is coming. Keep the Year of Jubilee, the party is coming. And friends, when Jesus arrives on the scene, God says, as it were, the party's here. The party is here. John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus' disciples and say, why don't you fast like we do? And Jesus overhears them. And he says, this is not a time for fasting because the bridegroom is here. When the bridegroom is here, then the bridesmaids rejoice. Right? What's he saying? He's saying, I am here. I am bringing God's completion. I'm going to do the work to push back everything that is thwarting wholeness and fullness and God's intended completion in this world. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do everything that I need to do to remove the barrier of sin that's keeping you out of the party with God. I'm going to take your sin upon myself. I'm going to bring forgiveness so that you can be invited back in through me. Jesus says, the bridegroom 
is here. It's time to party. It makes sense of one other cryptic saying that Jesus has. His opponents are talking to him about the Sabbath day, about the seventh day that was to be kept. And he says that the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made, or excuse me, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Son of Man, me, Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. What was he saying? He's saying that he had arrived to bring Sabbath fullness to its completion. The seventh day had arrived in Jesus. And so what do you do when fullness has come? You celebrate. You party. Your life is characterized by joy and by fun. Because that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. So friends, what would it take in our life together for our neighbors to look at us and say, that congregation knows how to celebrate well because they know Jesus who has brought the party in its fullness. What would it take? Here's some tips. Um, Number one, we party with Jesus. We party with Jesus. In other words, this isn't just a lifestyle choice for a group of people who are followers of Jesus to have fun and to party. We're not just indulging our appetites. Let me come at it from the other way. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will naturally want to respond with joy and celebration. Does that make sense? Jesus who brought the party, the more time we spend with him, the more time we're going to want to party. And so we don't party apart from him as his followers. That's good news. It means we don't have to create an atmosphere of celebration. It means we don't have to create conditions which are worthy of celebration because sometimes we just can't. But Jesus has. And so we party with him. Number two, we celebrate intentionally. We celebrate intentionally. As I mentioned, Israel was mandated. You have to party And you have to do it at these times. And you have to do it in this way. Now we don't have to anymore. Because Jesus has come and he's brought the kingdom party to bear. We don't have to keep these feasts that point to that. But it's probably a good idea, right? It's probably good practice to have rhythms of celebration. Do you know why? Because we, particularly we adults, just don't do it so well anymore. And so we need the reminders and we need the repetition. We need the practice. So how might we celebrate regularly and in rhythm together? Well, there is one meal that we have every seven days together that's celebratory. The Lord's Supper is a great place to hone our partying skills. And so when you come to the table in just a few moments. Come, and yes, remember what Christ has done so that we can come and be part of this community and this celebration. Remember His sacrifice, and remember it respectfully, and maybe at times soberly. But when we come to the table, also remember that this is a taste of the party to come. And so friends, as you take communion week after week after week, train yourself to do it in a celebratory way. Find ways to enjoy the table. 
Enjoy your neighbor as you're coming down and waiting to take the bread and the wine. Sing full-heartedly as you celebrate. It's just one of the rhythms that we're given. Middle schoolers, it's just once a month right now. We hope to up the rhythm. But go to the middle school gathering. I went to pick up my kid after the middle school group last month, and everybody was in the gym at Brentwood Bible, and it was so fun. I was like, yeah, this is what church is supposed to be like. We need to do more of this. Keep up those rhythms. I'm happy to talk about how we can do potlucks more regularly. Come see me and volunteer. We'll make it work. Right? What could you do with your family? I was talking to a friend who mentioned that he wants to have a once-a-month curry night where he just cooks a huge pot of curry, opens his front door, and lets whoever wants to come in, come in. Friends, how might we celebrate regularly in a way that our neighbors might notice? Here's one other specific that we could think about as we close tonight. Celebrate generously. Celebrate generously. Did you notice that Israel's feasts weren't just for the wealthy? They weren't just for the well-connected. In fact, God commanded them to feast and rejoice and to make sure to include the Levites who couldn't bring food on their own, the strangers who were in Israel as outsiders, the widows and the orphans, and by the way, your servants who probably are working right now. Make sure to include them in your parties. What would it look like if we as a congregation celebrated in a way that those who felt most on the outside of life were invited into our party and became insiders with Jesus? What would a party of ours look like that led to a baptism of a friend or a neighbor who said, you know what, I want to be part of this partying family because Jesus is here. Friends, let's continue to ask that question to one another as we worship week after week and let's pray and come to the table and have a little bit of taste of that party right now. Would you join me? Jesus, thanks that you love to party. Teach us to do it well with you. We'll give you the glory. We pray it in your name. Amen.